God, you are that rock. You are that refuge, our, our stronghold, our strength for salvation. God, we look to you. God, we so need you. God, I pray that we would continue to live for you, being bought by you, being your children. And uh, God, it's all for your glory. It's all for your goodness. We want to bless your name this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Is my mic working? All right. If you haven't uh, already passed a friendship register over on the aisle on the left, you can go on ahead and grab that and uh, pass it all the way down. I'm sorry. That was my job. I'm an idiot. <laughs> We're a good team. We work together. And uh, grab your Bible. Open up to Galatians chapter 3. If you haven't already, uh, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some ushers or we can get some ushers who can get you a Bible. Galatians chapter 3, we want everybody to be in the text this morning. Um, we're all about God's Word, what He says to us through His Word, and we're going to spend some time there this morning. Galatians chapter 3, and if you know how your Bible's put together, uh, the book of Galatians and, and all of Galatians, it's, it's pretty easy to find. You know, first we've got the Gospels, right? In the New Testament, we go to the Gospels, the, the four eyewitnesses of Jesus. And we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They, they record the biography of Christ, the, the birth, the life, the ministry, the, the death of, of Jesus. Following the Gospels, we have the book of Acts. And in Acts, we see the, the expansion and the, the formation of the early church, we see the history of, of the good news of the gospel spreading from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. And after Acts, we get into the apostle Paul, his, his letters. We start with the long letters. We've got Romans and then 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and, and now we get to Galatians. You know, if you know how the Bible's put together, Galatians is, is pretty easy to find. What about Obadiah? You know, like, we just don't spend enough time in, in Obadiah. Where's Obadiah at? Well, it's, it's a little bit harder, and here's a hint. You know, if it sounds Amish, if it's got an Amish-sounding name, it's probably the Old Testament. You know, it's probably the end of the Old Testament. I didn't learn that in seminary, but it's a little hint that helps me. Um, Obadiah, right? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, good Amish-sounding names. Well, we know where Galatians is, and we kind of know a little bit of where Obadiah is, but uh, have you ever thought, like, wouldn't it just be so much easier if we didn't have the Old Testament? I mean, think about it. Like, we've already talked how, how Jesus is better, right? Jesus is a better high priest than the Old Testament high priest. Jesus is, is better than the law of Moses, Hebrews tells us. Jesus is, is better than the law. Jesus is better than Moses. If Jesus is better, if, if we have that in the New Testament, if we really believe Jesus is better, well, why do we have the Old Testament? It'd be so much easier if we would just rip it out and just, let's just commit to living by the New Testament. I mean, don't we have everything that we need, you know, grace and faith and, and Christ and, and the cross, and let's just go right to the Gospels. You know, we don't need 66 books, let's just have 27. A little bit easier to thumb our way through it and find the books of the Bible and Really, my, my question is, what, what's the point? What's the purpose? Why do we have the Old Testament? And, and if we need the Old Testament, well, how does it fit, really, with the New Testament? You know, Christ has come, and, and that changes everything. So then why do we need the Old Testament? You know, if our salvation is based on faith through grace, and, and we've been redeemed, we've been bought back, 
You know, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, well, that's all New Testament stuff. Where does the Old Testament fit in here? And this is the question that, that really Paul is, is working through and, and getting to here in Galatians chapter 3. Christ has come, so, so why do we need the Old Testament? Last week, uh, Pastor Doug was preaching through the first uh, verses, and, and he's shown us in verses 1 through 5 that the Galatians, their, their personal experience testifies that, that they were saved by faith. It's not what they did. They, they heard the gospel, they believed, they had faith, and they were saved. It's not by what they did. And, and then in verses 6 through 9, Paul looks to, to the example of Abraham, the, the father of faith. And, and even Abraham, well, well, he was saved by his faith. He wasn't saved by, by his effort, by his works. And, and so us too, we, we follow in Abraham's example. We are saved by faith, not the law. And verses 10 through 14 actually shows us that, that the law is unable to save. Well, we know that, but, but actually the law is a curse, the law becomes a curse because nobody can perfectly satisfy and nobody can perfectly keep, obey the commands of God in the law. So the law becomes a curse. We've seen what the law can't do, but, but one more thing for today, starting in verses 15, one more thing the law cannot do. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, to give a human example, brothers, even a man-made covenant no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. And here Paul's giving us this example. He's got this illustration. He tells us, well, we know what a covenant is. We, we know what a contract is. It's, it's permanently binding. It's unchangeable. We have this, this covenant, and, and we can make a covenant. We can make a contract with one another. It's an agreement. We can't change it. Once it's been ratified, once it's been made official, it's, it's been sealed it's guaranteed, and it can't be changed, it can't be edited, it can't be added to it. The, the, the covenant, it, it stays the same. We have a contract that stays the same. Paul's point he's getting to is, well, if, if we can make a covenant that's recognized as binding, how much more should God be able to make a covenant that's unchangeable, that's, that's permanent? Here, he's, he's referring back to God's covenant with, with Abraham. We'll see that here in the next verse, 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Verse 16 looks back to Genesis 22, and we were there last week in Genesis 22 where, where God took Abraham outside, right? And, and looking up at the midnight sky, Guy, the, the thousands upon thousands of stars, God made this promise. He made this covenant with Abraham that Abraham would have a, will have a son. And Abraham's just like, wow. He's like, I'm 100 years old. I am an old man, and I just want one son. And God's promising me thousands upon thousands upon thousands of future generations and descendants, a whole host of stars and in the sky. That's how many sons, that's how many offspring I'm going to have. But in this covenant, this promise with God, God promises that through Abraham's offspring, one of his sons, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Another translation for this word offspring is the word seed. And that kind of makes sense for us. If we, were, if we went into Lowe's and we bought like a 40-pound bag of grass seed, 
obviously there's thousands of seeds within this bag of, of seed. And, and here Paul is, is saying, he's, he's telling us that, that God has made this covenant. God has made this promise with Abraham. And it's going to be through his seed, his one singular offspring, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Here Paul makes it crystal clear. He, he's the one who interpreted for us. The, the hard thing with the word seed, the word offspring, it it can mean either thing. It can mean plural, it can mean many, or it can refer to just one. It's got to be based on the context. It's a little bit unclear in Galatians. It's a little bit unclear in, uh, in Genesis 22. And so here, Paul makes it crystal clear. Here, the Abraham, his offspring, his one singular ultimate descendant is going to be a blessing to all the nations. And he tells us this is Christ. This is what I mean Look at verse 17 here. Paul kind of sums up what he's been talking about in the whole chapter. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Here's why. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. One more thing the law can't do the law cannot trump God's plan of salvation. See, the law of Moses, it came in the book of Exodus. It came 430 years after God had already made and ratified this covenant of, of this promise of salvation based on faith with Abraham in Genesis. And, and so if the law comes 430 years later, it does not annul, it does not cancel out, it does not trump what God has already promised to Abraham. I think here Paul is, is telling these Galatians, he's, he's telling them, how do you read your Bible? How, how do you understand your Bible? Go back and reread your Old, your old Testament. You're, you're getting it all wrong. For the Galatians, their, their Bible, their uh, scripture was, was only the Old Testament, right? At this time, they were living the New Testament. And, and so Paul tells them, go back to the beginning, start there in Genesis and reread the Bible. How are you reading it? See, for the Galatians, for the Jews, the, the dominant, the controlling factor, their, their lens by which they viewed all of the Old Testament was, was based on the law. And the law takes up a lot of pages in the Old Testament, but, but it became their, their central focus, it became their lens for how they understood all of Scripture and, and how they applied that to their life. And so as they looked at all of the laws, as they looked at God's uh, commandments, as they looked at what God had required for them, they've got all of this that, that's the driving central focus for how they would live their life. But the problem is they're, they're looking at themselves and keeping the law of Moses, and they're not looking at, at Christ who, who came and fulfilled the law of Moses. The problem is these Galatians, they're, they're using their lens and, and they're looking at themselves and how they can be obedient. And, and that's why justification has been so important throughout this book. The point is Christ has come, Christ has justified them, and now it's, it's not about them. It's not about what they can do. Christ, he's already done it for them. These Galatians, the, they thought they could earn their way to heaven. They, they thought they could be obedient by their works, their effort. The reason is their lens, how they read Scripture, how they saw Scripture was, was completely wrong. Their lens focused on the law. They completely missed the whole big picture of, of, of faith. Faith came first. 
Paul's like, no, you're, you're reading the Bible all wrong. Abraham believed and Abe was saved. You don't have to, Abraham didn't have to add works. He didn't have to add the law of Moses to his faith. That wasn't even around for 430 years later. That wasn't even there for Abraham. Paul's telling these Galatians, go back, reread your Old Testament. Start in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. Start there and read the chronology of the Old Testament. Read the storyline of salvation history because it begins with faith. Faith has always been a part of God's plan of salvation, the law, 430 years later. I think for us, this kind of brings up a good opportunity to, to consider the question, how, how do we read our Bible? What is our lens, our, our perspective? What is the framework that, that we look to Scripture to understand it, to apply it? Well, here's five wrong lenses for reading Scripture. First, bedtime stories. You know, Jonah Little Jonah tossed into the stormy sea and then swallowed by a whale. And little handsome David with a slingshot defeating the big, ugly, giant Goliath. And Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. And Jesus walked on the water in the middle of a raging storm. And you know, Scripture is not bedtime stories. Scripture is not this, this Disney book of bedtime stories. Scripture is God acting in moments of human history. It's not Disney. Your self-help guide, another wrong lens for viewing Scripture. The, the Bible is, is not your self-help guide that, that has 17 secret steps to lead a, to you to happiness and success and wealth and a better you. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's, it's not about the chicken noodle soup for your soul. The Bible is not about self-help. The, the Bible is all about eternal hope. A wrong lens for reading Scripture as some kind of a self-help guide. Also, an inspiration, a motivation manual. You know, the Bible is about achieving a, a more successful, a better life. It's about the, following the morals and the, the principles and trying to become a better person. No, Scripture is clear that, that we are sick with sin and we're dying. And Christ, He is the only healing prescription that we can have. It's, it's not about trying to create a better me. It's about coming to the end of me, receiving Christ. It's also not a round of ammunition. You know, when, when you've, got your, uh, you've got your pistol, you've got your Colt 45, and you're, you're talking with somebody, you rip out Scripture and put it into your barrel and blow somebody away with it, trying to prove your point. No, Scripture is not a round of ammunition. It's, it's not to prove your point. It's not trying to back up what you're trying to say. And it's not the yellow pages. You know, it's not like this quick fix that we can just name it and claim it and slap it to our problems and everything's okay. Wrong lens for, for viewing Scripture. It's not yellow pages to, that answers all of life's problems. You can't just rip it out. How about five right ways, five good lenses for, for reading Scripture? What if we read it actually as God's Word, right? That, that God wrote a book and that he wants to speak to us through his written word, that he wants to reveal himself. What, what if we wanted to actually see the heart of God, know the, the thoughts of God, follow the plan of God, the story of God? It's, it's all here. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God, the very word of God. 
Number two, spirit-inspired. You know, we've got the Word of God. We've also got the Spirit of God living within us. The Spirit of God allows us through illumination of the text, it, it comes to mind, it, it helps us understand, it helps us apply, it, it takes this book and, and makes it relevant in our life. The scripture of God uses this book in our lives to make it active, to make it living. We need the, the inspiration, the illumination of, of the spirit alive within us. So we're, we're not reading our own experiences into the text. So we're not reading our, our thoughts or our ideas back into the text but the Spirit of God allows the Word of God to speak to us. Another thing, Scripture backed. One way to read Scripture is, is with other Scripture. You know, a good lens for reading Scripture is, is with the whole counsel of Scripture. You know, come to a verse and it seems kind of like a contradiction or it doesn't really make sense. Well, what does the rest of the Bible have to say? What does the rest of Scripture have to, to teach on that topic? All of God's word agrees. Uh, we can't just hang our hat on one or two verses and, and try, to, try to live by those one or ver two verses. It's, it's how is all of God's word affecting your life. Historically proven, number four, it's not a novel, it's not fables, it's not tales, it's not fairies and pixie dust. It's, it's a record of historical events. I mean, this stuff is, it's all true. Every person in here actually lived. Every city, it, sometime it existed. Every event actually happened. It's historically proven. It's, it's all true. Number five, personally consumed. You know, the, it comes down to if this is God's word, if it's acting, if it's all true, if it's happened, if it agrees, are you in it? Are you consuming it? Are you feasting on God's word? Are you reading it, studying it, meditating it, memorizing it? Deuteronomy 8.3 says, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you have a regular meal with God's word? Are you devouring it? And are you moving, are you growing in your faith from, you know, the milk, the, the verses in, in Proverbs to the meat, whole chapters in Hebrews or, or Romans? Are you consuming it? Are you devouring it? Are you in God's word? Well, back to the text here in Galatians, Paul's just put himself in a pickle. You know, he has just proved from the Old Testament that the law, it's, it's not necessary for salvation. The law doesn't save. The law doesn't justify. Nobody can keep the law. The law is a curse. And the law came 430 years later. It doesn't trump God's promise of, of faith, his plan of salvation. Paul has just like completely cut the legs out from under the law and has shown how it's, it's not necessary for salvation. But if Paul was to stop right here, we would be in trouble. I mean, we would might as well just rip out the Old Testament if, if Paul was to stop right here. So Paul goes on. He's, he's given us what the, the law can't do. Now it's time for what the law can do. Why do we have the Old Testament? Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of our transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So why do we have the law? The law was given to show the depth, the, the severity, the, the complete inability of us to save ourselves. The law was given to show our, our total depravity, the seriousness of, of our sin, 
the law was added, it says, because of our transgressions. Now, this word transgressions, it, it pictures uh, this, this boundary line. There's this clear, defined, distinct boundary line. There's this marker that separates what's right from what's wrong. The law has been given as our marker, and it shows us that we are constantly stepping over into wrong. We're constantly doing this dance of, of we do right, we do wrong. We do right, we do wrong. And if we do wrong, we're wrongdoers. Not only that, we're, we're lawbreakers because this is the law, and we have broken the law of God. So the law was our, our boundary line. It showed us, it defined truth. It, it told us what we can, what we cannot do. It, it created this, this conscious conviction within us that, that shows us that, that we are wrong and, and that we have broken God's expectations. We have sinned against God. So not only do we need a clear understanding for how to read the Bible, we need a clear understanding for, for sin, Sin is not just disappointment to God. Sin is disobedience to God. It brings destruction, death. Sin is not just like, whoops, I messed up. No, sin is wickedness. It is active rebellion. Sin is not just a silly little mistake. Sin separates us. It brings judgment. Sin is not just, just wrong. It's a violation. It brings alienation between us and God. Sin is not just like, uh-oh. Sin is an offense before a holy, righteous, all-powerful, all-sovereign creator God. You know, it says faith came first, but then 430 years later, the law was added as a clear boundary of right and wrong. We're constantly stepping over into the wrong and therefore, if we're constantly wrongdoers, lawbreakers, we are not righteous. And so we need somebody who is righteous. We need somebody who can come and defeat sin. We need somebody who can come and, and remove us from our sins. The law helped define truth for the Israelites until the truth capital T, Jesus Christ, was able to come and rescue them and take away the sins of the world. Verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. He's saying, Paul, Paul's saying the law, it's not a, it's not a contradiction to faith. In, in the sense, it's, it's not like this alternate means of salvation. The law is not this another way, another path to, to get to God. No, the law was given by God to show the very need for God. Verse 22, but the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The Old Testament law, it, it imprisoned everything under sin. Picture this, the, the law was our boundary. It showed us what was right and wrong, and, and we've stepped over it. We've committed the, the wrong. We have crossed the line of what God has told us, what is right and what is wrong. And so we're wrongdoers. We are lawbreakers, and we've been arrested by the law. It has shown us what is wrong, and, and we are now arrested by the law, and, and it was our boundary, and, and now we have become arrested. We've been convicted. 
It's, it's shown us that as guilty lawbreakers, we are, now, we are now imprisoned by our sin. We are now locked up, shut in. We are now hemmed in on all sides, cannot escape, cannot run, cannot get out, cannot be free. We are locked up, guilty. We're sitting in prison. We're imprisoned by our sins. We're, we're sitting, and the judge has given us a sentence. The penalty, the sentence, death row. We are waiting because of the verdict of our guilt. We are waiting on death row, sitting in a prison, under sin, locked up, hemmed in, no way of escape. That is how God pictures us when we have not come to Him. That is what our sin has, has done to us. It has imprisoned us. It's easy to have kind of this victim mentality, like, I don't really want to see myself like as a criminal locked up, arrested, and guilty, and, and sitting on death row. You know, it's easy to have this, this victim mentality where it's like, we're not really like that. Like, we're good people, right? Like, we're not criminals or, or prisoners. Well, have you ever been to a prison? Like, have you ever talked with the inmates? A lot of them don't think they're guilty either. For us, without Christ, this is how we are. We are imprisoned, locked up, hemmed in, guilty. The verdict, guilty. Condemned, waiting our judgment on death row before a holy and a righteous God. Next verse, verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. In this text, it tells us that the law was our guardian. Before faith, before Christ came, the law was our guardian. Literal translation of this word would be the law was our boy leader. In the first century, a child came to his boy leader when he was seven until he was about 17. And this boy leader, he was a, an educated slave who was usually responsible for, for supervising the, the children on behalf of the parents. And this, uh, this guardian, he would take the kids to school. He would walk with them. And then he would sit with them at school. And then he would walk back home with them after school. This, this guardian was, making, uh, was in charge of making sure that the kids stayed out of the trouble. And, and when they got home, the, the guardian was responsible for, for helping restrain the kids from, from going out and playing until they had completed all of their homework. In the same way, Paul's telling us that the Old Testament, the law, it was given as our guardian. It is meant to, to guide us, to protect us. It's meant to restrain us, to keep us from sin. And yes, the law can, can teach us not to sin. It can show us what's right and wrong. It can define the truth, knowing what we can and cannot do. But, but more than that, the, the law is not meant to be this cruel, mean, strict teacher that, that beats us up. It's not meant to be this mean disciplinarian that, that slaps our hand with a yardstick and sit us in the corner. The, the law is not meant to be this, this mean, cruel instructor. The law is meant to be our, our guardian, to, to protect us, to walk with us, to restrain us, to keep us from sin. And ultimately, the law was meant to, to take us by the hand and to walk us to Christ because it's by Christ we can be justified. The law shows us we cannot do it. It protects us, it guides us, but it takes us to Christ where we can be justified, where we can be forgiven, where we can be redeemed. 
Law can't save us, but the law has a purpose. The law can do some things. The law shows us that we've stepped over into right and wrong, that we have committed wrong, that we are wrongdoers, transgressors, that, that we are lawbreakers, and we are imprisoned because of our sin, and we are convicted, and we are sentenced with no way of escape, waiting our verdict, we are guilty, we are sentenced in our cell to, to death row, and that is where we're at. But there's hope because of the same law which condemns us also guides us to Christ. The same law takes us by the hand and it leads us to Christ showing we can't save ourselves, but the law knows somebody who, who can save us. So the law takes us to Christ. And, and I don't like preaching like this side of the cross, right? Where we're guilty, we're imprisoned, we're condemned. I, I don't like seeing us in this state of, of criminals, of, of being on death row. But this is where the text takes us. This is where the law takes us. But it doesn't leave us here because the law takes us on to Christ. And so, what only Christ can do, verses 25. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you were all one in Christ Jesus. Faith has come. Christ has come. And we're now living in this new period of salvation history where, where it's not about the law. It's not about trying to keep all of the Old Testament commandments. The Jews counted 613 Old Testament laws. And these laws became their lens, their perspective, the dominant controlling factor for how they lived their life. These laws determined what they did in the morning when they woke up, what they can and cannot eat, what they can and cannot wear, who they can marry, who they can't marry, uh, how to cut your hair, where to, to how to take a bath, how to conduct business, uh, what to do on the holidays, that the law controlled all of these things. The law controlled their life, and after the end of the day, you know, after making these 58 decisions of, of what I'm going to do, where I can, where I cannot go, what I'm going to wear, who I'm going to be with, after making all of these decisions... I'm sure the Israelites had to be staying awake at night, tossing and turning, thinking through, what, did I really do it right? Did I really make a good decision? Did I, did I do the right thing? Who was I with today? What did I wear? What did I say? And just the, the guilt all night, tossing and turning, thinking through, am I good enough? Did I keep the law good enough? Have, have I been a good enough person today? And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Faith has come. Christ has come. Christ has fulfilled the law. Jesus is better than the law. Christ has set you free from the burdens of the law. He completely kept it 100%. We don't have to. We don't have to stay awake at night tossing and turning, fretting and worrying over how good of a person we are, if we've done enough or, or where we're at. No, Christ has come. We don't need to spend time memorizing 613 laws, trying to, to fulfill those and to walk in those and to do those. No, Christ has come. We don't need to beat ourselves up and become dead tired and overwhelmed and exhausted with trying to live like that. Christ has, has come, and, and there's so much freedom and, and just security and, and comfort in, in coming to Christ. No, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. 
here Jesus is talking about the law, and he's telling the people to come to me. If you're worried, weary, if you're worn out, if you are exhausted, if you are tired from trying to keep the law, come to me. I will give you rest. This isn't just like a good night's sleep. This is, this is a resting place. Come to me and I will give you rest. Question is for us and for the Galatians, have you come to Christ? Are you, are you in Christ? Are you in a relationship with Christ? The, the law is our guide. It's led us to Christ. You know, we've all crossed that line. We are lawbreakers. We are wrongdoers. We're convicts, inmates. We're imprisoned in our cell. Have you come to Christ? Have you allowed Christ to release you from your captivity under sin? Have you allowed Christ to, to set you free? That's what this is all about. Are you in Christ? And if you're in Christ, have you been baptized into Christ? Have you shared your faith? Have you told somebody else of this amazing God work, this, this change that's taken place in your life? Is your identity in Christ? Are you dependent on Christ? Have you been baptized into Christ? Have you put on Christ? Are you now wearing the clothes of Christ? You know, when a Roman child left his boy leader, left his guardian, and uh, he became an adult, he became a man, there was this huge celebration, this huge party. And uh, the child uh, was giving new clothes. Here Paul is saying to us, he's like, where's your toga? Like, you've taken off the old clothes. You've taken off the old self, the old patterns of life, the old addictions, the old worries, the old habits. Like, that is dead. That is gone. You are now in Christ, a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You are in Christ. So have you put on Christ? Are you wearing the clothes of Christ? You're a new creation. It says, are you one in Christ? Verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female. For in Christ, you are all one in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament law created uh, a difference. It created distinction separating the, the Israelites from the rest of the nations because Israel was God's chosen, God's holy uh, people. Every morning, a Jewish Pharisee, growing up in this time, he would wake up, first things that he would pray, and I'm sure it was some kind of a, you know, holy prayer voice, but he would pray, you know, I thank God I am a Jew, not a Gentile, a free man and not a slave, a man and not a woman. And here Paul completely turns that upside down and says, no, 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 there, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no slave, there is no free man. There's no, there's no male. There's not even female. In Christ, you were all one in Christ. The equality that we all need the mercy, the grace of God. Not elitism, not separation, not divisions, not better than you. No, in Christ, we are one in Christ. Before Christmas, I went with Pastor Doug and uh, Norm Wilson, and, and we went up to, uh, to meet Jim and Yvonne Harmon at Pendleton State Prison. And Jim and Yvonne, they're part of this uh, ministry called the Unchained Gang. And uh, we were helping them in, in this ministry. Um, it was Christmas behind bars. And so their, their ministry is dedicated to sharing the gospel with, with prisoners, uh, inmates behind bars who, who literally have been imprisoned because of their sin. Incredible ministry. Some of the members of the Unchained Gang, they've actually spent time incarcerated themselves, and it was behind bars that they came to receive Christ, and, and now they're involved in this ministry. And this is a, this is a cool group. This is a special group of, of believers. And uh, so at Pendleton, we're, we're up at the state prison, 
and uh, helping the Unchained Gang hand out uh, these, these packages to, to all the inmates. Uh, there was like 2,000 bags that, that we were helping hand out. And there's only like 30 or 40 of us there helping that day. So half the group, you know, you've got the Unchained Gang. Uh, a lot of these are biker guys, right? So you've got tattoos, you've got black boots, you've got uh, the leather jackets, sunglasses, even though it's December. You know, you've got the Unchained Biker Gang. The other half of the group helping that day, Amish families from Goshen, Indiana. And it was like worlds collide, right? Like these Amish families who were helping, homemade clothing, very simple, very conservative, very traditional. And then kind of these loud, outspoken biker guys. And for me, kind of like stuck in the middle, just kind of looking at both of these groups interact, like it was so cool. And uh, yeah, there was incredible diversity. They probably had nothing in common, and yet there, there was equality. And I think that's kind of what, what Paul is giving us this glimpse of, of, of in Christ, as, as, we, as we are in Christ, there is, there is unity. There's differences, there's diversity, but in Christ, there is an incredible picture of, of unity and coming to one. There's not separations, there's not divisions, one in Christ. Last verse 29, and if you are Christ's, if you belong to Christ, if you are Christ's possession, so what it means, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Only Christ can save us. The law can't save us. We can't save ourselves. And if you're in Christ, if you're baptized in Christ, if you're clothed with Christ, if you're one in Christ, you are a guaranteed child of God, son of God, heir to his inheritance, the, the promise of salvation. And yeah, I, I was guilty. I was here. I was condemned. But my penalty was, was paid. And, and yeah, I was incarcerated. I was imprisoned because of my sin. But Christ came and set me free, came and rescued me, came and redeemed me. God bought me back. I don't want to serve a sentence. I don't even want to spend time in jail, but I definitely don't want to serve my sentence sitting on death row in a cell. I want to be a son of God. I want to be an heir of God. I don't want death row. I want my inheritance. I'll go on ahead and be greedy. I want my inheritance as a child of God, which is the promise of salvation, the eternal resting place. That's where all of our hope is, the hope of glory. When we think about the relation between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know, it's not like God is this, this kid who, who changes the rules in the middle of the game, right? It's not like we're in the Old Testament and it's just way too hard, 613 laws and just, it's just too much. It's not like God thought, you know, maybe in the New Testament, I'll, I'll throw in a little, uh, you know, grace and, and forgiveness and a little bit of mercy. It, no, God's not this kid who changes the rules halfway through the game. God has known through all of human history. It started with faith. By faith, Abraham was saved. It started actually back in Genesis 1-1, where in the beginning, God created, and he created all of us, and, and then we sinned. And so then, by faith, Abraham was saved, and we can now become the heirs, the children, the offspring of, of Abraham. The law shows us that, that we don't have what it takes. The law shows us that we cannot save ourselves. 
the law doesn't save us, but it does protect us from sin. It, it keeps us from sin. It restrains us from sin, and it takes us by the hand to Christ. Christ can save. The law shows us what's right and wrong, but so much more than that, the law takes us to Christ. Our lens of how we understand salvation, how, how we view our deliverance with, with God uh, it doesn't begin in the New Testament. It doesn't begin with, with Jesus and the cross. It doesn't begin with, with grace and mercy and forgiveness and freedom. That's not where we start. We start back with Moses. We start back as a, silt, as a, as a sinful, guilty, lawbreaker, arrested, convicted, condemned. We start back here in death row. But then, in the fullness of time, God takes us and he moves us to Christ. We can't come to Christ to be justified until we've, we've first been with Moses and we've been condemned. But now after spending time here, after acknowledging our sin, our guilt, after spending time here acknowledging that we don't have what it takes, we need a savior. I cannot save myself. Moses takes us by the hand, takes us to Christ, and it's only by Christ we are justified redeemed, and become the sons of God, heirs to the promise of eternal salvation. Such a difference. The law totally has a purpose. We can't just rip out the Old Testament. We need it. We need it all. It takes us to Christ. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for the law. I don't enjoy seeing myself as a prisoner. I, I don't like to, to see the status, the, the state that I'm in as a guilty lawbreaker, condemned, separated, locked up in, in prison on death row. But God, with, without you, that's where I'm at. That's where I start. So thankful for your son who fulfilled the law, did for me what I can't do for myself, who, who has come and saved me. And God, I pray that for everyone today we would come to you and you alone, not ourselves. We would come to you, the righteous one, the justifier, the perfecter. And by faith through grace, we would come to you, end of ourselves, acknowledging our sin and our guilt, that we would be set free. Pray these things in your name. Amen.